Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. Welcome to another low-key review. Uh, This is a little bit different than the last one because this is really just a part one of my thoughts on Alan Wake 2. So my plan here is to do this kind of low-key impressions uh, review of Alan Wake 2 and then once I've finished the game, we'll do a full episode with a guest discussing this game. It is, you know, one of the biggest horror releases of this year. It's one of the most notable, you know, being the sequel that people have waited for for a long time to the original Alan Wake. And it is a pretty insane game. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to think about. It's a wild one. And uh, yeah, I've been playing it. I think by my estimation, you know, poking around on the internet and all that, I think I'm about halfway through the game. And I was like, man, I have so much to say. I have so many thoughts that I feel like this is the best way to do it. And then, you know, when I'm done, we'll do more of a discussion thing and just kind of get everything out in the open. So Alan Wake. Uh, Alan Wake is a fraught topic in the Zero Brightness community because as people who are longtime listeners of the show may remember, it's one of the earlier episodes of the show. Um, We covered... Alan Wake, and I hated it, and we made an episode in which I passionately shat all over it. Now, there's a couple reasons why. Number one, I've never liked Alan Wake. Uh, I played it when it came out, and I strongly disliked it. I think part of that was the game itself, and part of that was sort of my view of where horror games were going and how it was kind of emblematic of everything wrong with the genre trends at that time, where basically everything was just becoming like a mindless action game. I feel like all these games were taking influence from Resident Evil 4, but forgetting to keep the kind of atmosphere and like scene setting moments that made that game so special and kept it really rooted in horror. So instead, we were just getting stuff that was just like, you know, really bland corridor shooter games. Now, the other reason I was so negative on it at that time was we had this really misguided rule on the show that in order to talk about a game, you had to 100% complete it. You had to finish the entire game. And I think that if I had just played like the first half of Alan Wake, realized I didn't want to play anymore, and then jumped on to talk about it, I would have had more nuanced things to say. I still wouldn't have liked the game because I just don't like the game. I don't think it's fun to play um, on a basic level. So that's like kind of the all said and done. That's that's the issue. That's the big issue. But I also feel like that episode is almost comically negative. And that was really just 
uh, me being a dumbass. That was us being a, like dumbasses. You know what I mean? Because like we shouldn't have had that rule. And yeah, eventually we axed that rule as well because it just doesn't make any sense. Like I and I've made episodes talking about why I don't think it makes sense and blah, blah, blah. So I won't get into it now. We don't need to rehash all that. But suffice it to say, I'm not a fan of the original Alan Wake. Now, the company that made Alan Wake, Remedy, that's a stickier situation. Because I really do like Max Payne. I mean, Max Payne is a PS2 classic. Anyone who had a PS2 in the early days had that game and played the shit out of it. So I like that game. Uh, And more recently, I really, really liked Control. So there is not a main episode about the game Control. Maybe there will be one day, but... There are a couple of Patreon episodes that I made while I was playing that game. And that is a very, very interesting game. I think Control kind of set me on the path towards understanding how Remedy works as a company and what they're trying to do with their games. And then I think maybe I didn't quite understand that before. Because... Control really is kind of genius level pastiche. It's a combination of a bunch of existing properties and ideas all mixed into one cohesive whole that is really, really fun and engaging to experience. There's obviously a huge influence from the whole SCP phenomenon. There's a influence from Twin Peaks. There's influence from psychedelic horror games like Layers of Fear and psychedelic horror movies like Barbarian Sound Studio, um, amongst others. I know that when I was playing the game, I spotted so many different film references and I talk about it in those Patreon episodes, but Barbarian Sound Studio was like the big one that stood out to me like while I was playing the game. And I guess like where I landed with Control was that I really loved the whole experience. I didn't love every bit and piece of it, but I love the whole experience. Like, I think the actual moment-to-moment gameplay is incredible. The combat is so fun and fluid. It has this great arcadey feel to it. It's also really breezy once they added in the final difficulty options that I think only came about when the like expanded edition or whatever edition like came out maybe a year after the game's release but it was just a really really fun to play game it had this great like metroidvania exploration element to it that i thought was like really really well done and it was really incredible to see someone nail that in a 3d space because we're so used to seeing that in a 2d space it was just a super fun game to play I also love the world they made for the game, like the aesthetic, the setting, even some bits and pieces of the lore were super, super, super cool. And I loved how the game let you experience as much or as little of that as you wanted to. So like there's a ton of stuff in the game, you know, there's uh live action video, there's notes, there's optional cutscenes. like there's so much stuff you can wade through in the game, but you can also skip past some or all of it. It really is a thing where you can choose to ingest as much as you want to. And I really, really love that. That was a huge and very encouraging upgrade when coming from Alan Wake, which I felt like was a game that suffered 
from some cumbersome storytelling that like made you sit through really uninteresting stuff like dramatic readings of Alan Wake's writing or like conversations that go nowhere, et cetera, et cetera. Like Control had way more information packed into it, but you could choose how much or how little of that information you wanted to digest and you could choose how quickly you wanted to skim over that. I really, really like that because ultimately it was all about getting you back into playing the game and the game was really, really, really fun. That was really encouraging going into Alan Wake 2 because it suggested that they had, you know, kind of mastered pacing or they had a much better understanding of pacing in a video game. So yeah, I I had some expectations for Alan Wake 2 and I was like, okay, I think this is going to be good. Let's dive in. So what is Alan Wake 2? This is a good question because there was kind of a longish rollout for this game. We saw some footage. There was a lot of talking about it but it was still unclear exactly what it was going to be and how it was going to play. Remedy was saying that it was a survival horror game, which is very interesting because the original Alan Wake was not, and they've never made a game that I would consider to be a survival horror game. So big question mark in terms of like what the game is going to be. And I don't really think Alan Wake 2 is a survival horror game. I think it's a survival horror game in the same way that Control is a Metroidvania game, which is to say that it takes some inspiration from that genre, but to call it that would be really, really reductive and misleading. I think it's more accurate to say that Alan Wake 2 is very, very influenced by the Evil Within games, specifically the Evil Within 2. There is a ton of influence there. Like, if you're a big fan of that game, it can be a bit shocking, like how blatant it is at moments. So that's a thing. But really what I think Alan Wake 2 is, is a narrative storytelling experience. I think really it's like a modern survival horror game if instead of leaning into the action side of things, it went fully into the point-and-click adventure game side of things. Because really, when you're playing this game, most of what you're doing is experiencing a story. So let's talk about this story and how you experience it. The setup here is that you start the game playing as Saga Anderson, an FBI agent who is sent to Bright Falls, the setting of the original Alan Wake, to investigate a murder slash series of murders that have happened there. Pretty quickly, it all starts getting linked to the disappearance of Alan Wake. And after a little bit of psychedelic running around in the woods, Alan Wake himself actually shows up and we get the actual setup for the rest of the game. Basically, it's a very, very, very heavily Twin Peaks inspired whodunit where Saga, the FBI agent, is trying to solve these murders that appear to be perpetrated by a local cult. And Alan Wake is trying to escape from where he's been trapped this entire time, which is like an alternate dimension called the Dark Place. You get to play as both of these characters. You can jump back and forth at multiple times in the story. They leave it a little bit open-ended in that regard, although to me it made the most sense to just 
jump back and forth kind of when there was like a big story beat, like you finished a big story moment. It's like, okay, I'll see what's going on in the other side. Um, yeah, and pretty quickly their stories start to intersect. Saga is mostly in the real world and a place called the Overlap, which is like a weird psychedelic in-between that sort of looks like a fucked up version of the real world. And Alan Wake's story takes place entirely in the dark place, which is this alternate dimension. It looks like a kind of like neo-noir version of not quite New York City. And that's the tone of it. Like they really lean all the way into that like hard-boiled detective style and genre, which is, um, you know, basically the style that the character Alan Wake writes in. And, you know, as the story goes along, the two stories start to intersect more and more and more. The things that Alan does in the dark place seem to change the real world. This was like a theme in the original Alan Wake, but here it is the entire focus of the plot. Like, you're finding these manuscript pages. You're trying to figure out why these pages can either predict the future or change reality. Things do start to change and slip under, you know, Saga's feet. And it's actually kind of like crazy. Like some of the things that change in reality are really strange and weird and alarming. And it's really, really cool. I think the big takeaway from the story here is that it's really, really well done. It is very good. And I think it's also very satisfying because you can see them returning to all the stuff they tried to do in the original game and actually doing it right here. So like quick rundown. Number one is the Twin Peaks vibe. The original Alan Wake kind of gestured towards having this Twin Peaks vibe in the setting and even like borrowing some characters like the log lady, like the log lady's just in Alan Wake for some reason. But ultimately, like the whole vibe of the game, the story, I don't think it did that influence justice. And it also didn't really transform it enough for it to feel unique. In this game, I think they really do a great job with it. Bright Falls and the neighboring town of Watery are really, really well fleshed out. They're full of weird and interesting and funny and very menacing characters, which I like a lot. This game has a very, very dark and unsettling and uncanny vibe that reminds me a lot of actually like the third season of Twin Peaks, the more recent one, where it's like still weird and funny and over the top, but it's also like very sinister and like the, I love the town of Watery actually even more than Bright Falls because it's like just so kind of creepy and decrepit like the first thing you see the first time you go there is like this kind of like beer hall that's just full of old people watching Ati the janitor from Control do like a musical performance and it's such a good example of what I'm talking about where it's like it's funny, but it's also like weird and depressing and kind of creepy. They really nail it. They, they just do a very good job of it. And I think that carries through with the tone of the game. Like you've got this FBI investigation that spirals out of control. You've got all this like paranormal craziness. I mean, it just really nails the vibe, but they've spent so much time, you know, setting up the setting and the characters and all stuff that it does feel unique. It doesn't just feel like pastiche. And it's funny because 
The more I play this game, the more it kind of reminds me of Deadly Premonition. And I think despite Deadly Premonition being like a massive Twin Peaks rip, obviously, I think that one thing it was surprisingly good at was, you know, putting some of its own originality into the work. You know what I mean? So like you had your own characters who you became invested in. You had your own unique settings that, you know, you associate with that game. And so the longer you play Deadly Premonition, the more time you spend with it, the more it starts to differentiate itself from Twin Peaks, despite the beginning literally just being Twin Peaks. I think that, you know, this game does that too, and it does it really, really well. Also, just as a sidebar, there there are some weird similarities to Deadly Premonition that I'm like, was this intentional? Like, the enemies in this game remind me so much more of Deadly Premonition than they did in the first game. And I don't know if that's just me. Maybe it's just me. Tell me if you felt the same way. Please, I need this feeling to be validated. Thank you. I also think another big element that was in the original Alan Wake that's much better fleshed out here is the multiple worlds slash multiple realities concept. Like in the original game, it's just kind of a simple, like I keep finding these pages. It looks like I wrote them. They change reality or they predict the future. And I don't know. I felt like it was a little bit thin. It's not really explored that well. And you spend a lot of time reading this guy's writing and the writing is just like not very good or very interesting. And I didn't feel like the presentation of it was very good or very interesting. So here, they've fully invested in that idea of multiple worlds, multiple realities, and they've put a ton, a ton of time and effort into the presentation. So like the whole game is structured around it. There are two characters with entirely different campaigns that let you explore this idea. It's presented in a much more weird and mysterious way. So it really is like a thinker. Like you really do start to think about the mechanics of these things, how it works, how it might happen. And it's really, really fascinating. Like obviously it's all like kind of magical thinking, like sci-fi bullshit, but it's very, very cool and it's very, very fun. And I like it a lot. And I feel like it's much more fun to think about and it's much more fun to experience than it was in the first game where, like I said, I just felt like it was kind of thin. The other big thing here is that just like the presentation, you can't even compare it to the original game because it's just such a different beast entirely. Like, if it didn't have the story connections, which are very, very slight, like you do not need to replay the first game. You can literally just watch a video before you go into this game. If it didn't have those connections, it would not feel like a sequel at all. And I think that that presentation really is the strongest element here. So let's talk about it. Like I said earlier, I think Alan Wake 2 is a narrative storytelling experience. I feel very strongly about this because that's the main thing you do in the game. That's the main thing you experience in the game. And the game has so many different ways to show you this story. So for the most part, when you're playing the game, you're really just running around 
exploring and collecting clues. So this is sort of like the basic interactive action-adventure part of the game. During this part, as you explore the world, you can find items and you know collectible upgrades and stuff like that, which is cool. But you also find clues, which you can then go to your characters like basically mind palace, you know, like from Sherlock or whatever. Uh, you can go to their mind palace and both characters have one, although it's slightly different. And you can put the clues on a board and literally connect the dots so you can figure out what to do next and you can like flesh out different parts of the story. This is really, really fun. It's really, really cool. And it is like 100% not dependent on action or combat. This is really what feels to me like the meat of the game. Just like running around, exploring, finding clues, figuring out what to do next. Even when you pick up like documents or manuscript pages or whatever, just like in Control, you're not required to read them. If you want to, you can go to a submenu and click on it and listen to Alan Wake read it while a little slideshow plays or whatever, but you don't have to do that at all. If you want, you can literally just go to your Mind Palace and go to the storyboard and just see like the relevant excerpt and then put the clue like on the board. That's what I did most of the time. Once again, I love that. The pacing is so good. You don't have to stop to ingest any of the stuff unless you want to. It's the same with like the live action stuff that plays on TVs. There's a bunch of that just like in the first game, but here it's much more fun and entertaining in my opinion. You can also take it in at whatever pace you want. If you want to rewatch stuff, there's a menu for that, et cetera, et cetera. Just much better pacing, much better presentation. Now that's a good segue into another thing the game does, which is just show you live action movies, sometimes quite lengthy. I mean, technically these are cutscenes, but they're fully produced live action film style cutscenes. So this stuff is really well done. I mean, the directing, the shooting, the nuts and bolts of it, everything are just like incredibly high quality. These pieces are actually very fun to watch and experience. Just like in Control, sometimes you watch them like a cutscene, and sometimes they're kind of overlaid onto the game world, like as you're playing. So once again, there's different ways you experience it. It really highlights the different layers of reality and experience that exist within this game. And yeah, it's just really, really fucking cool. Uh, I so far have really enjoyed this stuff and the way that they kind of vary how you experience it is really cool. Uh, last night I played the musical segment, which I guess is now something that's in like every Remedy game and it was really fun and entertaining and I liked it. Another piece about all of this like more live action or more traditional like traditionally presented story stuff, I should say, that I think elevates it way above the original and even above like anything Remedy's done before, in my opinion, is that it's very, very self-aware. Like one of my problems with the original game was that you spend so much time like reading Alan's writing or kind of like buying into the idea that he's like a writer, but his writing sucks. And the game didn't really present it in a self-aware way. Like, it's kind of suggested he's a hack writer, but I don't think it's played hard enough for me to, like, buy that that was intentional, you know? 
Whereas in this game, like this game is so self-aware that it's like saying over and over that it's like, yeah, Alan Wake is a hack writer. The whole like everything that happened in the first game happened because he's a hack. He freaked out not because he got too famous and couldn't deal with fame. He freaked out because he got famous for writing like shitty detective novels and he wanted to like recenter himself and do something of value. And then, you know, all this horrible fucked up shit happened. That is fucking fantastic. And that tone carries over into a lot of stuff in the game. So like all the hard-boiled detective stuff is kind of played in a satirical or maybe even a sarcastic manner. Like, yes, this is dumb. This is like a stupid old trope, but it's also cool because it's presented in this really dark way. Like the game is very definitely a capital H horror game. And the way that the horror aesthetics mix with the kind of hard-boiled detective stuff and the Twin Peaks stuff is very, very cool. And it really elevates all that stuff um, in a way that is really great. And once again, also very reminiscent of the season three of Twin Peaks. That was basically the same trick they did there. And it worked really, really well. It works here. That's kind of the, the bottom line. But yeah, I, I really feel like that self-awareness is such a boon to this game because there's so many different elements that work because of it. So like that musical segment, for example, it is purposefully played for laughs. It's very cheesy. It's very over the top. And I liked it so much more than the musical sequence in Control because in Control, it was basically like this terrible song playing that sounded like Nickelback and I was just supposed to think it was cool. And I did not think it was cool. And it took me out of that part of the game. Because <laughs> I was like, this just sounds like fucking Nickelback. Like, I don't like this. Whereas in this game, it's like, it's also music that is not my style, but it's like funny and over the top and played for laughs. It sounds like some hilarious, like Eurovision bullshit. And I really liked it. And, you know, once again, within that, there are so many different things that are played that way. Like, there are moments in Saga's story where like really absurd stuff happens and she just comments on it like, this is pretty fucking ridiculous. And it's like, yes, thank you. Even like the whole concept of the town of Watery is played for laughs because it's supposed to be like a tiny town that was started by Finnish immigrants where like they never integrated fully into American society. So everyone still does everything like the Finnish way. They all have like Finnish accents. And like, it's basically like, you know, they call it like, you know, the Pacific Northwest, Little Finland. Like the whole idea of it is absurd. And like, they point out the absurdity of it, right? And that's cool, that's funny. That like helps it go down and helps it work as like an element in the story. And personally, I fucking love it. There's also just like a huge jump in the quality of the writing, whether it's the story beats, the dialogue, any of that stuff. And that's something I also kind of had to like come to grips with, with Remedy. Like reading about it or listening to interviews with the head writer, Sam Lake, was pretty interesting because he was saying that he was kind of learning on the job, or at least that's sort of what I was reading between the lines of these interviews is like, you know, he started writing these games and plotting these stories. He didn't really know what he was doing. But, you know, during his time at Remedy, he's like studied screenwriting or he's like honed his craft. And so I think you can clearly see how like that's progressed over time and how that's gotten better and better from game to game. And I think Alan Wake 2 is just fully 
like a showcase for what they can do as like a storytelling experience. And I feel like it's one of those things that they've been working up to and that they needed to like hone their skills and develop those chops before trying to do something like this. I think that I said this many times before, storytelling in video games is tricky because video games are not strictly a storytelling or narrative medium. So you really have a lot of moving parts and a lot of things to balance if you want to do something that's strictly a storytelling experience. We've covered a lot of games on the show that try to do that in various ways. Like I think most recently it was something like The Quarry. And you know, I don't think that game was good. I don't think they did it very well. I think Alan Wake 2 is a much better game in that regard and kind of gives people a way forward if they do want to do something like this. Unfortunately, it also points out just how much fucking work it takes to create this kind of experience for the player. Because this is a huge game with a ton of game content, a ton of different systems, live action footage, a ton of writing that went into it, a ton of optional content for the player to peruse or to just skip entirely. It's like, it's rare that I've played a game and it's just so fucking obvious, like how much work went into it. And it's like staggering, you know, it's just like, holy shit. But also, like I said, I think that that's kind of what this kind of game needs. You're trying to do something that pushes back against the conventional wisdom of gaming and the normal thing that you would do in gaming, which is just make a game that's fun to play. So obviously you're gonna have to put in a lot of work since you are going against everything that video games are more easily set up to do. And yeah, I I just wanted to say that I really appreciate that about this game and I think they've done a really good job here. So moving past that, let's talk a little bit more about the gameplay. I've talked a little bit about it, you know, and how a lot of it really is just kind of exploration. It feels more like an adventure game, but there also is combat and there is a survival horror element. And I want to talk a little bit about that. So I do feel that this game is very heavily inspired by the Evil Within games. They took a lot of lessons from those games. And I think if you've played those games, you'll be very familiar with how this game works. So it's a game where you don't get a lot of ammo, you don't get a ton of different weapons or health pickups or anything like that. You need to save everything. You need to hoard items because when you hit a difficult part of the game, you're going to need any and every tiny advantage that you can. Like one health item or one bullet might be the difference between success and failure. So that was like the whole ethos of the evil within, right? And that's absolutely at play here in Alan Wake 2. Now, the interesting counterpoint to the evil within here is that you don't really have to do that much combat in the game. It is in that one specific way, a lot like an old survival horror game where you can run past just about any non-boss combat. And like I said, I'm halfway through the game 
And I don't think I've encountered an enemy that I couldn't have run from. There were a couple that were a little faster and harder to shake than your bog standard grunt enemy. And so I decided to fight and kill those because it felt like that was the path of least resistance. But I generally don't even bother fighting the normal grunt enemies unless I like absolutely have to. So it is an interesting mix of like the Evil Within 2, which I feel like is kind of the gold standard for a modern survival horror game. And I don't know, any classic survival horror game where one of the big components or selling points or whatever was that the combat was always optional. You never explicitly had to fight. And, you know, that is also kind of the thing that makes that more conservative approach to, you know, ammo and item scarcity work. Because yes, it is very punishing. And if you're not familiar with those old survival horror games, you're not familiar with Evil Then, you might have a very hard time with this game. And poking around the internet, I see a lot of people are having a very hard time with this game. But if you are familiar with those games, it's not that bad. Um, it's definitely something you have to be mindful of and you have to put it those, you know, ideas into practice, but it's not like super frustrating moment to moment. And I really need to stress like how optional the combat and action in this game feels. Like until you hit a boss, you really don't have to do any of it. And you will play very long stretches of this game without firing your gun. So long, in fact, that that might be the most difficult part of inventory management. Like any classic survival horror game, you have a limited inventory, there's item boxes, like you have to make sure you have enough space to pick up the things you want to pick up as you're going throughout the game, etc, etc, etc. You guys, you'll see in this show, you know what that means, right? But it's funny that I actually found the most difficult piece of it would be that I just would forget about it. And then suddenly it was like, oh, I have this big thing I want to pick up and my inventory is full. How is my inventory full? I haven't even looked at it or touched it or thought about it for like three hours or something, you know? So it really is a very narrative focused adventure game. Like I'll say technically it's an action adventure game, but it feels very much like an adventure game. So I, I do want to stress that a lot and I'll probably stress it again later because I'm about to talk about the action part and definitely make some criticisms, but that is kind of like the point of the game is that it's not an action game and that that stuff is really, really, truly optional. Okay, so I've been glazing Alan Wake 2 the fuck up, which means it's time to talk about some stuff in this game that I do not like because who boy, there is some stuff in this game that I do not like. The big one is the combat. This is the big thing. It's the big glaring issue with this game, uh, the combat. The combat in Alan Wake 2 is not good. It has the very strange and unique problem of feeling both overly cumbersome and kind of weirdly weightless at the same time. Your character is very slow and clunky. Everything they do is very heavy and weighty. And yet the game doesn't really give you feedback 
you never really know if you're doing something right or wrong. You never really know if your attacks are landing correctly, if you're doing the right thing in combat, or if you're just completely off base. A lot of times it feels like you are just literally flailing in the dark against enemies which are very, very frustrating to face. So on a basic level, the combat uses the same setup and gimmick as the original game. You're mostly squaring off against shadow people. You need to burn away the darkness around them with a flashlight. This mechanic takes consumables. Once you've burned away the darkness, you can shoot them with your normal weapons. In this game, the enemies are massive bullet sponges, like quite egregiously. And the game also takes that Evil Within inspired route of barely giving you any ammo and severely limiting your inventory space, meaning that you're going to have to be precise with your aiming and you're going to have to get good at the combat. The problem here, once again, is that the enemies are massive bullet sponges and the game rarely gives you any sort of feedback to let you know if the shots you're landing are, you know, actually doing damage, if you're actually on the right track. The enemies are also very, very frustrating. They now have a different way of moving that, once again, feels a lot like Deadly Premonition, which, side note, I just paused because I forgot the name Deadly Premonition and in my head all I could think of was Despicable Me and now I'm thinking of like a mod to the PC version of Deadly Premonition that turns everyone into minions. Can, can someone listening make that happen? Thank you. Anyway, these enemies now move in this weird erratic way where they can kind of teleport close to you to close the distance. They're very fast. They're very deadly. They can frequently one or two hit kill you if your health isn't at 100%, which if you're playing conservatively to not use too many items, it almost never is at 100%. So yeah, there are some very, very frustrating encounters with enemies throughout this game. They also give you some tools to help like a weak spot mechanic where enemies will have a certain weak spot that if you shoot it'll do more damage. The problem here is that if the weak spot isn't in a really obvious place on the front of the enemy, I literally don't know how you're supposed to hit it. This game does not have a robust or usable lock-on system, it's all manual aim, at least in normal mode, and so I don't even know how you get behind an enemy. How, you, how do you? If someone would like to tell me, I, I'm curious, I'd actually like to know. I still have the whole second half of this game and it might help me out there. These problems are also exacerbated by the systems that are connected to combat and weaponry, like the upgrade system. Um, these systems are also not good. They're very weird and they're very abstract. They require you to do a lot of extra exploration to find a lot of collectibles, which I'm not against in and of itself, but... The rewards are these bizarre predetermined upgrades that to me made little to no sense. Like I understand that they wanted to do something different than the kind of like stock Resident Evil 4 style upgrade where you can just choose uh, a stat on your gun and increase it. But like, holy shit, I would do terrible, unfathomable things to just be able to increase the attack power of the basic pistol in this game. Like it would just be so so helpful because this pea shooter ain't doing shit for me. Now with the game's moment to moment combat with those grunt enemies, 
This isn't actually that big of a deal. I have yet to encounter a scenario where I absolutely have to fight every enemy I come across. Um, 99% of the time, you can just run, run past enemies. You can do the old trick from that one episode of Roroni Kenshin where you run them around until you can face them one by one so you don't get ganged up on. I mean, so far, it feels like this kind of combat, it's not very consequential. Like, you can skip it, you can get around it, you can cheese your way around it. It's not that big a deal. I've really only hit a couple spots where I was even really frustrated with the amount of enemies or enemy placement or anything like that. And it was also specifically in Alan Wake's section of the game, which I think is a little bit more frustrating in terms of combat than Saga's, um, you know, equivalent portions of the game. But it's really not a big deal. Where it is a little bit more of a big deal, and it might actually be a wall that people hit in the game is with the bosses. Because let me say this, I think the combat in this game is not very good. I think the bosses in this game absolutely fucking suck. Like, what? Like, massive question mark, what were they thinking? This is actual crazy shit, you know what I mean? So let's talk about the bosses here, right? So far I've faced two big bosses in the game. Um, and I think maybe some mini bosses or anything like that, but I, only two that I would say were like big consequential bosses. Now I'm gonna tell you a little bit about my experience with each of these bosses, but I also think that they both have the same big picture problems. So I wanna outline what those are first. Number one, these bosses are massive bullet sponges that are insanely overpowered. All right, that's number one. Number two, they're also kind of weird gimmick bosses that rely on you doing something that goes against like all game and real logic or just kind of knowing what to do beforehand. Like you already know the solution going into it, so the boss is not a problem. If either of those things are an issue, you are fucked. <laughs> so the first boss in the game, it's just like a really big dude who hits really hard. Not a big deal. I had been stockpiling lots of items. I was kind of ready for it, but I got in there and I had a couple issues. Number one, this game has a similar problem when it comes to some of the boss fights that Control did, where there was just way too much going on on screen. There's lighting effects, overlays, crazy blooms. Everything is like increasingly dark as the game goes on. Like these are big problems. I literally just couldn't see what was going on. So my pro tip, my hack to beat this boss was that I just went to the options and I turned the brightness up to 100, uh, which I think is a really funny thing to do sometimes in games. Uh, but yeah, then I could see what was going on and I was able to actually have a chance. But then I discovered like the other problem with this dude is that he can fucking teleport and like jump scare you, which like, you know, from just a horror game perspective is okay. But considering the fact that you take damage and it's like an attack he does, I felt that was uh, just an unacceptable level of bullshit personally. And it kind of drove me insane. So yeah, I basically had to turn the brightness up to 100 and then learn the places where he's going to jump scare you and then dodge when he's gonna jump scare. Cause you do have a dodge in this game, meaning that this game is of course a Souls-like, get good, etc. 
Further cementing this game's reputation as a Souls-like is the second boss, which is basically this game's Ornstein and Smo. So it's a double boss. There's two guys, you have to face them separately and then together. The issue with this boss is when you walk in, there's a really obvious objective you need to complete before you can kill the boss, right? You see it, it's right there. You're like, great, I'll do that. If you try to do that instead of just fighting the boss, you will die immediately because the dude, one of the dudes who's a sniper, will just fire off shots inhumanly fast. It's like that part in Siren where there's a sniper shooting at you, but at like 4x speed. It's so crazy. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? How are you supposed to beat this? This is like unbeatable. So I did it a bunch of times. And then, of course, I just looked up what to do. In looking up what to do, I found page after page of people complaining about how they were quitting the game, how this boss was bullshit, it was impossible, etc, etc, etc. But then I found someone saying what you actually had to do. I'm going to tell you what you have to do, because I think it illustrates a point about this game's design. You're supposed to use the dodge to dodge bullets. Now, maybe that doesn't sound as absolutely fucking stupid to you as it did to me. But I have to be honest, that is quite possibly the dumbest thing I've ever encountered in a video game. Yeah, so basically when you hear the dude like racking his shot, you're supposed to hit the dodge button and that will allow you to dodge bullets because you are Neo, apparently. Now, the big problem with both of these fights is that they both rely on one kind of cheap gimmick or one thing that you need to know before going in. And once you know that, you can beat the boss fight on your first try in about 90 seconds. It's so just like unsatisfying. Like when you first get to the boss, you understand that it's difficult. And if you're maybe you're a fan of Dark Souls or something like that, and your brain does go into like get good mode and you're like, okay, I'm gonna have to try this a bunch. I'm gonna have to learn the secrets and blah, blah, blah. And you know, get good, whatever. But that's actually not the case here. It's just that the bosses rely on this kind of nonsensical dream logic bullshit and once you know the trick the bosses are actually super easy to beat it's just not good design it's not satisfying or fun to play i don't really understand what the thinking was behind this design philosophy and like i said i feel like all these problems are present in the moment to moment combat but that's all more or less skippable whereas the bosses are not. And so that puts me in a really frustrating position where it's like, I don't want to go online and look up what to do before every boss fight. But I also feel like that's the only way to get through the game. And that's really, really frustrating. I feel like Control had one or two boss fights like this that were just pure bullshit. And there was one that actually made me stop playing the game for a while until I came back to it and figured it out. But Control also had a bunch of other boss fights that weren't like this. So far, every boss fight in Alan Wake 2 is like this. And yeah, I mean, combined with just the basic problems with the combat, I find it to be really frustrating and disappointing. Mostly for two reasons. Number one, everything else in the game is of such a high quality that it's weird that this aspect of the game is so shitty. And the other being that they took so much influence from Evil Within. And Evil Within is so focused on its core game mechanics being fucking great. 
that I don't understand why that wasn't something that they pulled from it and put into this game. It's odd. It feels like a mismatch. Like you have this great adventure gameplay and then you've got this kind of horrible action gameplay that sucks. And if you get hung up on the action stuff or you're stuck on something, it will take you out of the experience. And that's a bummer. Now, the big caveat here is basically, like I said earlier, the action really isn't the focus of the game. So I kind of understand how it ended up being like not great because the other parts of the game, the narrative storytelling stuff, that's the heart of the game. That's the meat of the game. And that stuff is very, very, very good. I think to go back to the kind of question of whether or not this game is survival horror, the most survival horror ass thing about this game is the fact that it feels exactly like playing the original Silent Hill with save states. Like the original Silent Hill also has dog shit combat and a bunch of like mega bullshit bosses. And if you were playing the original release, it was really frustrating because you didn't have a choice. You just had to fucking get good. But if you were like emulating it years later with save states, it's actually kind of amazing because when you fuck up, you can just go back to whatever checkpoint you set for yourself and then keep on playing the game. That's like kind of amazing. And obviously, Alan Wake 2 being a modern game is pretty generous with both manual save points and automatic checkpoints, especially if you're using those save points. Like, you're never going to really get stuck in a situation where you keep dying and you have to play through like large portions of the game. Like, that's not really going to happen to you. So, the combat being bad and frustrating, or the bosses being bad and frustrating, or whatever once again it's just not as big of a deal and i feel like it's also clear that that just like wasn't really the focus of this game when they were making it so yeah i mean after playing control i really wanted the combat in this game to be really good and fun and satisfying but i'm also not like too pissed that it isn't because there's so much else in the game and it's clear that that other stuff is the important thing in the game like that's the focus of the game and to compare it to the original Silent Hill it's like the original Silent Hill is a masterpiece it's arguably the best in the series despite how dog shit its combat is and how bullshit its bosses are like I think that those things are just kind of there as an element of the game and everything else works in spite of it. And I kind of feel the same way about Alan Wake 2. And also when I talk about it in those terms, I think that a lot of the stuff with the combat feels intentional. Like they really were trying to make it difficult and frustrating. And I think the changes to the enemies may have been made to make them more scary and like horrifying which yeah there is something scary when like an enemy sneaks up on you and and grabs you or hits you with an axe or something like yeah there there's a little shot of adrenaline there and the game does definitely get some mileage out of that but i guess going back to that question of like is it good is this the way in terms of the combat i would say no 
I think it's also just a little bit of weird cognitive dissonance for me as such a huge fan of the Evil Within games because I feel like the Evil Within games showed that you could do a great horror or survival horror experience that still felt like a great action game, played like a great action game, had good action gameplay, and didn't sacrifice any of the horror because of that. Whereas like Alan Wake 2 in that regard feels like a bit of a step backwards. Like, oh no, the combat has to be slow and clunky and bad so that it's scary. I think this was an intentional choice and I think it's a thing that some people will get mileage out of. I just don't like it at all and I just like don't think it's good. I will say though that it also feels illustrative of how far above the original game this game is that like there is so much more here beyond the combat. There is so much more here for the player to take in to consider to experience that I don't really care that the combat isn't very good. Um, in the original game, the combat was kind of all there was. There was like some kind of canned story moments and then there was combat and that was it. That was all you got the entire game. So if you didn't like one or both of those things, there was like nothing there. Whereas like Alan Wake 2 goes all in on this storytelling narrative adventure experience and there's actually so much to see and consider and explore and for the most part you can even just kind of not engage with the combat at all and just experience the rest of the game until you hit a boss and then you'll just have to figure that out. I think that that is in its own right a really impressive achievement and it's you know once again, just speaks to the quality of this game because I do think this game is like really, really, really good. Um, I am actually really enjoying my time with this game. I do think you have to set your expectations accordingly. Like you have to understand that this is a narrative adventure game. And I think like Anything in that genre, whether that's just like an old school adventure game, a more modern adventure game, a survival horror game, they're all going to have like frustrating elements. It's usually in the combat and the action. It's not smooth and slick like an action game. And you're going to have to figure out how to use it and manipulate it to um, engage with the rest of the game. And that's usually fine as long as it's not so oppressively terrible that it will keep you from beating the game. Like something like Rule of Rose, for example. I mean, there's just a couple bosses near the end that the vast majority of players are never ever going to beat. And that's obviously a huge shortcoming slash design flaw. Alan Wake 2 is not like that. I mean, the game is playable. The combat is usable. It's just like I said, I don't feel like it's up to the standard of quality set by the rest of the game. So I guess looking at it through that lens, maybe them calling it a survival horror game and using the survival horror tag is actually low-key kind of genius marketing because they're not only setting people's expectations, but they're also kind of like telling you what the shortcomings of the game are going to be. So yeah, maybe, maybe it is a survival horror game or at least it's like, a game that it's very smart for them to tag it as survival horror. Either way, I'm really enjoying this game. I think it's just a really cool narrative storytelling experience. 
So far, I really love the psychedelic aspects. I love the things that they've chosen to show us, like the selection of the styles and aesthetics that the various areas inhabit are like really, really good. I mean, it's super cool that as Saga, we get to run around in the woods and we get to explore this like cool Twin Peaks style town. All of these environments are rendered beautifully and whether that's in terms of design or tech, that statement still holds up. It's a very eye-popping game. I'm playing it on the PS5 because I just didn't want to hear my computer sound like a helicopter for 30 hours while I played this game. Um, yeah, it looks amazing, um, performs really, really well. Uh, and you know, when you jump back to Alan Wake, you're getting to experience this like really cool, dark, psychedelic, neo-noir story that I think, once again, aesthetically is very cool. It's very eye-popping, lots of old film references, kind of an old Hollywood vibe to the whole thing. And you know, they also write a lot of, in this story. Once again, there's a lot of self-awareness to the writing and the plotting. So there's references to old film, old theater, references to old hard-boiled detective stories, characters commenting all that stuff so you know that they know that they're making a reference, you know, lots of cool multimedia stuff. There's some really cool live action stuff in the Alan Wake story that once again, it's, it's very heavily stylized and it's done in a way that once again, it feels kind of meta and self-aware and smart. Um, and I, I think that's what was missing from the original Alan Wake. And I think that that's what this kind of story needs. Like if you're going to tell this weird, psychedelic, multi-layered meta story about an artist that ends up being about making art, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you really need all of that stuff in the story and it all needs to be of an extremely high quality. And good news gamers, in Alan Wake 2, it in fact is. So yeah. Um, that's how I feel right now. That's how I feel so far. I think this game is great so far. I'm really enjoying it. Let's hope that things hold up and I will check in with y'all uh, ASAP about the rest of this here game.